What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Good day, everybody. Good to see you again. Um, I think it's been like a year and a half since I've been here. And how many of you were here one of the times when I said, ah, fantastic. So, pray for the college campuses. Someone told me in the foyer that I look like a non-Asian virgin of uh, Francis Chan. (laughs) And then my favorite one, though, is someone once said that I look like a skinny version of The Rock. (laughs) Can you see it? No? Okay, okay. (laughs) I didn't think so. Uh, It's great to be here with you, Darren and Sarah, too, and thank you for serving with us and for for all those years. You were Sarah, you were with us for how long? Five years? Four? How many? Almost seven. Darren had her eye on her the first uh, week that she got there. Just want you to know that. He was, part of his role was to take photos of the new students. And it's like, well, why are you taking all these photos of this particular student? No, I made that part up. Also, Peter and Allison here, dear friends. Allison was my personal assistant for a number of years and really served me in helping when I wrote my first book uh, when the shooting stopped. So, uh, but they drove up from Miami. So great to see you guys. Okay, well, I want to talk to you about disappointment. It's one of the chapters in this book, The Dreamer. And yeah, if, you, if God speaks to you through this and you, you can't afford a book, I really do want to give you one if you'll read it. Uh, one of the things we go through is disappointment. All of us. I think at some point or another we have we've gone through something, we expected something to happen, and it didn't happen. It turned out differently. And you're left uh, confused, maybe, or just despondent, and maybe even depressed. King Solomon said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred. That's, that's what he's talking about. You, you, you're expecting something to happen. You have hope in it, and it doesn't happen. And you're left with a sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. And so I want to talk to you about that. And if you have a Bible... Uh, we'll start with, with John chapter 11, and I'm going to actually talk about three stories of disappointment, and in each case, the person or people involved in that story had a different response. All of them were the wrong response, and then we'll talk about God's response that he wants for us when things don't go the way we wanted. Uh John 11 is the story of three of Jesus' closest friends when he was on earth. Arguably uh, as close as the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. They were all siblings in one family, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus got sick, deathly sick. And so they sent a messenger to Jesus And the messenger was supposed to bring Jesus back. Uh, He got to Jesus, gave him the message. And John 11, 5 and 6 says this. uh, Jesus loved Martha and her sister 
and Lazarus. Verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. John 11, 5 and 6. Can we put, oh, there it is. So isn't that kind of, doesn't that strike you as unusual? Uh, shouldn't it say, he loved them, so when he heard that his friend was ill, he dropped everything he was doing and he rushed to his friend's side and he healed him. But that's not what happened. He stayed two days longer. What was that all about? Uh, well, after the two days, he said to the disciples, okay, let's go to Judea. Uh, Bethany of Judea was where Lazarus and his sisters lived. It, it was only two miles from Jerusalem, we're told. So the disciples knew that the high priest and the Sanhedrin and all those guys wanted to kill Jesus. So they tried to talk Jesus out of it. But Jesus wasn't afraid. I mean, he knew his time wasn't up yet. In fact, when they did kill him, it wasn't because of them. It was because he gave his life. He said, no one's taking my life from me. I'm laying it down. Uh, so he wasn't sweating it at all because he knew this, this is not the time. They can't touch me. Uh, and so he said, no, we're going. So they went. When they got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And uh, Martha came out to meet Jesus at the gate. And she said, uh, verse 21, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again. Uh, she thought he was talking about the resurrection of the just in the last days. But he wasn't. He was talking about the miracle that was about to take place probably within the hour. He said... Where have they laid him? And they took him to this cave. It was covered. The entrance of the cave was covered with this large stone. And he said, roll it away. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came back to life again. Three stories of disappointment. This is the third one. So I'm going to circle back around and get to this one. First story of disappointment. I'm very familiar with because it's part of my story. So as Darren said, uh, in the first service, he, he said he is a director with YWAM. And some people were going, wow, Lauren Cunningham looks very young. Uh, I'm a director of one YWAM ministry in Denver, Colorado. It's the best one. <laughs> no, um, I was just kidding, Lord. Uh, <laughs> and so we went there a long time ago, started this Youth with a Mission Ministry to be a bridge to the nations. And over the years, we saw thousands, probably somewhere between five and 7,000 young people come through, go out to the nation, to the world. Many of them didn't stay out there, but their lives were ruined for the ordinary. <laughs> they were changed forever. And uh, a better husbands, wives, parents as a result. But it was, it's very rewarding to be able to invest in the lives of others and see them fulfill God's calling on their lives. And uh, we were very fruitful. We saw a lot of fruit, in spiritual fruit in that sense. And then about the turn of the century, I felt the Lord speak to me, prepare for growth. I don't know if you guys remember me saying that. Uh, prepare for growth. Wow, what's that going to look like? I, I was excited of what that would look like. But then it didn't happen. Uh, everything 
went the opposite way, it seemed. Uh, we had a former student who came in uh, one night and opened fire, shooting four of our staff, and two of them died that night. In the, the following months after the shooting, about half of our staff moved on. It was just such a traumatic experience. You were there during the shooting, weren't you, Darren? And um, ah, it was just the most difficult thing. Then we found out that the State Department revoked our ability to give religious worker visas. So we have, uh, as a ministry, we have the ability to give what's called an R1 visa, religious worker visa. They said, you can't give any because you didn't file this paperwork on time. What paperwork? Well, it turns out this paperwork was misplaced, uh, crucial immigration paperwork misplaced during the aftermath of the shootings when our whole ministry, our whole campus was an active crime scene and we didn't file on time. And they said, all of your international staff have to leave. And you can't have any new internationals join you for five years. Oh, wow. Then we had a lawsuit against us, which we had to settle out of court. And then, <laughs> I'm wondering... Lord, did I misunderstand you? Did you say, prepare, prepare to reduce your growth? Is that what you said? That wasn't what he said. Then, but I'm still waiting, in a sense, for this. Uh, we found out money had disappeared out of our general fund. It was like one thing after another. When we did the investigation, it turns out someone who did some work for us put an electronic transfer in there and stole $100,000 and over $100,000 and then disappeared, not literally, but fled from Colorado. And then our network server was hijacked by a foreign company. Uh, I didn't say it was the Russians. I don't know who it was, <laughs> but we went to the FBI. Fortunately, we have the FBI. And the FBI said, pay them. What do you mean, pay them? They said, well, seriously, that's what they said. We can't do anything about it. We have so many of these that you just have to pay them. Well, they actually broke our service, so we didn't have to pay them. And then we had a situation where two of our key leaders uh, had to move on because of, of unethical things that they did. And, oh, to say I was disappointed would be an understatement. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that I considered quitting. I'm ashamed of that, that I actually, it wasn't just a temptation, but I actually began to think about what would it look like if I just quit the ministry. Uh, that is one of the natural responses to disappointment, is to give up. People give up all the time. They quit churches, they quit marriages, they quit jobs. It's not God's way. But when you're disappointed, uh, it's definitely an option. And by the way, because I didn't share this in the first service, and someone said, but what happened? Well, God spoke to me. We had this situation happen where our ministry closed, and God told me, if it's me, I'm going to resurrect it. You see, Jesus waited because he didn't want a healing. He wanted a resurrection. And he spoke to me, if it's me, I'll bring it back to life. And God brought a young couple 
uh, who uh, uh, have started YWAM Denver again, and our staff is growing. But, yeah, I felt like giving up. That's the first story of disappointment. It's not God's way. Maybe you're in that place and you've considered it. Don't do it. Second story of disappointment we find in Genesis 11. It's the story of a young couple called Abram and Sarai. Later on, it'll be called Abraham and Sarah. Abram falls in love with this young girl, 10 years younger than him, in his village, and they get married. And in that ancestry-based culture, having children was the ultimate sign of God's favor. But as hard as they tried, they couldn't get pregnant because Genesis 11.30 tells us Sarai was barren. She couldn't have children. So what are they going to do about it? Well, God spoke to Abram. He's out having his quiet time one day at night walking along Genesis 15 verse 5. And God says, Abram, look up into the night sky. See the stars of the heavens. Uh, I'm going to give you more children than this. You're going to have children. And you're going to live to see their children and their children's children. And eventually your descendants will become a great nation. Uh, can you imagine just... Picture Abram bursting through the front door of their place. Honey, God spoke to me. We're going to have children. Uh, and so they tried, I'm sure. Uh, and a year passed by and nothing. Two years, four, five years, seven, eight, nine, ten years, nothing. Uh, and then Sarah, Sarah comes to Abram one day and she says, I have this idea. Genesis 16, verse 2. Uh, I'll paraphrase it. Honey, I know you said you felt like God was going to give us children, but it's just not happening. And I'm not getting any younger, you know. So I had this idea. Why don't you sleep with my Egyptian servant girl? And have a child with her and we'll raise him as our own. Abram thought and prayed about it carefully for five seconds and agreed it would be a good idea. Um, I made that last part up, but uh, <laughs> that's what they did. Now, here's the thing. This was not a deviant thing to them. Uh, in their culture, if a woman couldn't provide her husband with an offspring, with an heir, then this is what they would do. Leah, Rachel did the same thing. Uh, the plan wasn't perverted. The plan wasn't even uncommon. It just wasn't God's plan. Because that's the key, right? Is that it's God's plan. The next thing we read, another 15 years have gone by. It's been a quarter of a century since God spoke to Abram as he was taking his walk with the Lord that they were going to have children. A quarter of a century. And God comes to him again, and God says, you're going to have children. He reiterates the covenant, Genesis 17, 7 and 8. God says it again. He changes their name as a sign of the covenant. And Abram, now Abraham, probably was thinking, I know, I know, Lord. You've told us this many times before. Yeah, we're going to have offspring. And our son Ishmael is a teenager now. And it won't be long until he's married. And he gives us the children you promised us. 
that that wasn't what God was talking about. And then God said this, verse 16, Genesis 17, 16. He said, Sarah will be the mother. I will give you a son by her. Right? Can you just imagine the adrenaline rush shooting through Abraham's uh, bloodstream at that moment? You're going to give me a child through her? And sure enough, or by her, they got pregnant. And they named the child Isaac, which means what in Hebrew? Laughter. Because Sarah said, everyone who hears my story will laugh with me. And as you know, if you've continued reading the story, I'm sure most of you have, their greatest disappointment was yet to come because then it was disappointment in God himself when God said, take Isaac, sacrifice him on the altar. I mean, these were the practices of the pagan nations around them, not Yahweh. I mean, how could God even suggest that to Abraham? But he was willing to do it. What do you do when you're disappointed? One option is to quit, like what I was considering. It's not God's will. Second option is to do what they did. Take matters into your own hands. Okay, well, it's not happening. So I'm going to do this. Whatever it is that you're coming up against this impossible object and you're disappointed, don't try and fix it yourself. God is well able to do it. Even if he has to raise something from the dead. Third story of disappointment. Let's return to the, the passage we started with, which is the story of... It's really the story of Mary and Martha, not Lazarus, because he had died. Uh, but when he got sick, they sent a messenger to Jesus. Tell him this, John 11, verse 3, the friend whom you love is ill. Genesis 11, verse 3. A few days later, the messenger returns alone. He was supposed to bring Jesus. I'm sure the conversation went something like this. Well, did you give Jesus the message? Yes, I did. And, and you didn't just give it to one of the disciples, right? You gave it to him personally. Yeah, I gave it to him personally. And, uh, and, and did you make it really clear that our brother was deathly ill? Yes. <laughs> and what did Jesus say? He just thanked me for the message. And you made it clear that our brother, yes. <laughs> I mean, it didn't make sense. Sometimes, I think many times, God doesn't make sense. The Apostle Paul said the ways of God are past finding out. Don't try and figure it out. He wants you and me to trust him. But sometimes he doesn't make sense. And the test of obedience is to obey him when he doesn't make sense and just to continue trusting him. So I met my wife in California when I first came over from Australia. And we were married in this little church in the San Fernando Valley. 
And in this church uh, was a couple who had a ministry called High Adventure. And the, there were George and Virginia Otis, was the name of the couple. And, and George Otis, prior to starting this ministry, was a businessman for an aerospace company called Learjet that had been started by a man called Bill Lear. And they built business jets. But he had left the company under not-so-friendly terms. I don't know if he was fired or he quit or whatever, but he and Bill Lear no longer were on talking terms. One day, George Otis is sitting in his living room uh, watching TV or something, and the Lord speaks to him and says, call Bill Lear on the phone. Well, he didn't want to do that. So he tried to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever done that? How many of you have igno- tried to ignore the heart? Okay, how's that working for you? <laughs> Not well. Because <laughs> what happens? Well, he just will keep hounding you, right? And so uh, the second strategy that George employed was to kind of argue with the Lord, try and reason with the Lord of why this really wasn't a good idea. And so he, uh, he, he said, Lord, I don't even know where the man lives. He's got seven different houses. And, and, but just to get the Lord, the Lord off his back, he uh, sort show our age for some of us. How many of you remember what a Rolodex was? Okay, so he, he, he flipped through his Rolodex and found this one phone number, a landline, the only phone number he, he had of a vacation house in Arizona where I think he and Virginia had stayed there one time. So he thought, okay, I'm going to call this number. There's no way the man's going to be there. The phone's going to ring lonely in the house, and then the Lord will stop bugging me about this. So he rings the number. It rings, rings. Bill Lear answers the phone. Hello? Oh, hi, Bill, this is George. Yeah, George, what do you want? Well, George hadn't thought that far ahead. So he, he, said, he decided just to be totally honest, and he said, well, I don't know why I'm calling you. Uh, Bill, uh, I'm just sitting in my living room this afternoon minding my own business, and God just kept hounding me that I had to call you. There was a long silence, and then Bill Lear said, well, did God tell you what I was doing right now? And George thought he was being sarcastic. He wasn't, but he thought so. And he said, look, no, Bill, I have no idea what you're doing. I just am obeying this prompting of the Holy Spirit. And there was just a sense of urgency that I needed to call you, but I don't know why. And there was another long silence. And then Bill Lear said this, George, I was sitting on the end of my bed right now with a revolver pointed at my temple about to end it all when the phone rang. That afternoon, Bill Lear gave his life to Jesus Christ <laughs> because, yeah, whoo, because a man was willing to trust God and obey him even when he didn't make sense. What Mary and Martha didn't understand because it didn't make sense. Why, why did Jesus stay longer? What they didn't get is that Jesus wanted Lazarus to die. That seemed like the worst possible outcome, but, but it wasn't because he didn't want a healing. He wanted a resurrection. Sometimes God allows things 
to go a different way, and it seems like it's going to be worse, but it's not because, because God is in it. So when you feel disappointed, one temptation is to give up. Don't do it. Maybe you're at that place and you're going, I feel like giving up. Sure, that's temptation. Temptation's not sin, but don't. Don't do it. Maybe, maybe you're tempted to take matters into your own hands and create an alternative that, that isn't one that God has breathed. Uh, don't do it. The third temptation is to think that Jesus doesn't care. That was what they felt. Jesus doesn't care. He just stayed two days longer. No, he doesn't. He doesn't answer our prayers right away. Or my mother used to say, well, he always answers them. But sometimes he says no or he says wait. But sometimes it's not quick and coming. Sometimes God leaves you on red. I don't know if for most of us that won't mean anything. But I just learned that, learned that millennial Gen Z phrase, not R-E-D. But R E A D, right? You have a friend you've been texting, texting, you know they're reading it, but they're leaving you on read, okay? So <laughs> all the millennials are smiling. Uh, God sometimes leaves us on read, but it's not the conclusion that it's because he doesn't care is not accurate. He does care, but it can be frustrating. <clears throat> Word arrived to Mary and Martha. Jesus is at the gate. And we're told Mary stayed in the house. I think Mary was a, we each handle rejection in a different way. And she was probably a mercy motivated introvert. And she didn't go out to meet Jesus, which would have been very unusual. She stayed in the house. Uh, Martha, on the other hand, marched out to the gate <laughs> to meet him. I like Martha. <laughs> Do you think she gave him the business? Oh, absolutely. They were friends, right? It probably went something like this. Well, nice of you to show up, Jesus. <laughs> Would have been really nice if you'd have showed up a few days ago when we sent for you. What took you so long? You come right away when I cook a meal for you. This is what she said, verse 21, John eleven twenty-one. 21. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. <laughs> what she didn't realize is that her disappointment was his appointment. <laughs> and sometimes God is able to actually work out something far better. And you know what? We all face disappointment. My book, The Dreamer, is about Joseph. He gets the dream, but it's 13 years before he gets there. And he had to go through all types of stuff. And this, the last hurdle that he faced is this one disappointment that I'm speaking to you about today. Um, but David went through disappointment. Uh, I think his disappointment was probably even greater because it came from his own family. Uh, just think about it. Word arrives at Jesse's that 
the prophet Samuel is on the way to anoint the next king. So Jesse lines up all his son minus David, whom he leaves out in the field. I mean, think of the disappointment David felt. Even his own dad had no ambition for him to be king. And maybe some of you, part of your disappointment has come from people you look up to or you love. Uh, Hannah faced disappointment. Like Sarai, she couldn't have children. The children of Israel faced disappointment when Moses was up on the mountain. What the heck is he doing up there? He's been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. They did what... What Abram and Sarai did, they took matters into their own hands. They took the gold and the silver that had been gifted to them by the Egyptians that God had planned. This was clearly part of God's plan for them to build the tabernacle in the promised land. And they they made an idol out of it instead. Wow. Jesus faced disappointment. It wasn't just Judas who disappointed him and Peter, Simon Peter, when he, he denied him. It was all of them. They all left him. Mark 14:50 says, they all abandoned him in his moment of greatest need, all of them. And, and he was under such emotional turmoil and stress. You know, I love it when science catches up with the Bible. Uh, and, and here, do you know there's a medical condition that some people under the greatest amount of Emotional stress is called hematidrosis. Hematidrosis, people who go, this is one of the outward signs of the greatest amount of emotional stress. Tiny capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands burst and actually blood comes out through a person's pores. It actually is a medical thing called hematidrosis. That's what Jesus had happened to him in that moment. He knows when we face disappointment because he went through it. Even the Father, even God the Father. Just think for a moment at the meta-narrative of the nation of Israel and their desire to have a king like all the nations around them. And God grants them their request and actually approves for this man to be the king, Saul. And look at 1 Samuel 15, 11. He turns out to be... Someone who is involved in witchcraft and disregards God's instruction. And God says that he regretted that he had made Saul king. Wow. God the Father. <laughs> so what do you do when maybe you're facing disappointment? Maybe, maybe you were excluded from a close group of friends. Or like Sarai and Hannah, you can't have children. Or maybe you thought you'd be married by now. Well, you didn't get a promotion you felt you deserved. What do you do? Don't quit. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't believe the lie that Jesus doesn't care. What do you do then? Well, you do what Hannah did. Hannah couldn't get pregnant. She couldn't get pregnant. She cried out to the Lord. It wasn't happening. Finally, she aligned her will with the will of God. She said, she said Lord, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to you. And she got pregnant. There's no disappointment for those whose wills are buried in the will of God. God, may your will be done. 
Even Jesus, the human part of the incarnate God, <laughs> under this emotional stress, Luke twenty-two forty-two. If there's any way, Lord, <laughs> remove this cup from me, nevertheless. Yeah, that's, that's the key. Not my will. That, that word is philema in Greek, which is, there's two main words for the will of God. One is God's sovereign will, which is bulamai. The other is philema, which is uh, an a, a individual desire that doesn't always happen. Because sometimes even the will of God doesn't happen, right? He, I mean, he wants everyone to give thanks, for that's the will of God. We don't do it. It's that word philema. And here he said, Lord, not my desperate will of my personal desire right now, but yours be done. Wow. That's, that's the key. Lord, not your will, but mine be done. So, if refusing to quit is the door to the future, if not taking matters into your own hands is the door to the future, if refusing to believe the lie that Jesus doesn't care is the door to the future, then bearing your will in the will of God is the key that unlocks that door. Let's stand, shall we, as we prepare to go back into worship. Help us, Lord, to not allow what we don't know to take away from what we do know. None of us know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. We trust you. We're prepared to trust you. We see that sometimes it takes years, sometimes maybe decades, but Lord, we don't want to allow what we're going through to, to set us off course. We want to stay in the center of your will. And so uh, again today, we say we surrender. Lord, I, I surrender to you. Not my will, but yours be done. If you would like prayer, from someone specifically there are those who are ready to pray but let's all just respond to this word today by saying Lord I, I surrender to you I surrender to your will because I trust you thanks for visiting us today make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com Thank you.